Welcome, everyone, to a very special episode of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Aaron, and tonight I have the pleasure of being face-to-face with my co-host and best friend, Patrick. Hey, everyone. But not only that, for this week's episode, we are also here in person with fellow podcaster and host of the Cinescope Podcast, Chad Hopkins. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Chad, this is awesome. Um, This is awesome. (laughs) I I can't believe we're actually sitting here with you. This is a... I would almost want to say dream come true, um, but it is very cool, like to be able to meet each other after having what talked for now a year or so, just about a year. Yeah, yeah Patrick and I met you through podcasting, and we both been on your show and on our show. I don't think you've done anything with both of us, right? No, not at the same time. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. So, so um, yeah, this is an awesome podcasting threesome we've got going on here. Uh, speaking of bad jokes like that, this is going to be very unique because we are currently in a Starbucks uh, with a mic hanging between the three of us with people looking at us funny. And that means that editing is going to be a little on the light side for this episode. <laughs> Non-existent. Like <laughs> <laughs> um, we don't have mute buttons to check ourselves for coughing <laughs> like and things like that. And there is a little bit of light, you know, background music playing at Starbucks. So those kind of things are just going to be here for this raw reaction episode uh, to help set the mood. But Chad, before we do move any further, what's going on with Cinescope right now? So Cinescope is actually approaching its one-year anniversary, which is insane. We just released episode 48 last week and preparing to record episode 49 tomorrow, 4th of July episode. And uh, yeah, it's going well. Patrick was on just a couple weeks ago talking Man of Steel and that one has sort of jumped up the charts, which has been really cool to watch. Rightly so. That's a good movie. <laughs> it, well, and it makes sense because I listened to that one on my vacation drive with my kids, and they hadn't even seen the movie, and they enjoyed the episode. We all really loved that one. I thought you guys did a fantastic job. So, Well, thank you. It was a fun conversation, for sure. It, yeah, it was. It was one that needed to happen, too. It was for sure. <laughs> Agreed. It needs some positivity. What about, don't you have a uh, giveaway going on right now or something? Yeah, ramping up towards that final one year. Well, I say final. It's not final. The one year episode. Soon as goes over. <laughs> uh, ramping up to that, we, I'm, I'm doing a, a, vid- uh, a giveaway on the show. Three winners. The grand prize winner is going to win two movies. Any movie we've talked about on the show up to up through episode fifty two. They get to pick. They get to pick the format. And then two other winners who each win one movie apiece. And to enter that, if you're interested, if you feel so inclined, you can do that through submitting a review for the show on iTunes. Help me get some more listeners and grow the show a little bit more as we approach year two. Or you can just tag us on Facebook or on Twitter and share the show with others that way. And it's a big help to me. And hey, you might win a movie out of it. Sounds like a good deal to me. I know I'm going to be applying for that. I, I love the movies you've covered. So winning some of those can only be a good thing. See, we should both do this, because in any case, you'll read the benefits if I win. And That's I'll true. Feel in film library. It's good. Exactly. <laughs> so we'll just we'll yeah. the deck a little bit there. Yeah, so you might have to you might have to enter just to stop these two from winning. <laughs> All right, so we know that many of you are extremely excited for this episode. Baby Driver is taking theaters over and driving to record box office numbers for Edgar Wright. And we know you're all expecting us to love it. Duh. But, unfortunately, we don't. <laughs> That's right. Uh, we were all pretty disappointed, actually. And we doubt that you'd want to hear us talk about it. So, episode over, I guess. Thanks for listening. Bye. We'll see you next week.
Just kidding. <laughs> you didn't think we actually hated it, right? Of course not. It's a terrible joke. But before we do get to our opinions on this fast-paced musical heist film, let's catch up with uh, what everyone has been doing lately. Chad, have you been watching anything of note that's kind of stuck out to you? Well, having said that we did a Man of Steel episode recently on Cinescope, I finally, finally, one year plus later, watched Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, which I'd been avoiding for a long time, not for any real particular reason. I guess there was the polarizing opinions one way or the other. There was just the fighting on Facebook, and I just lost interest after a while. Um, but I saw Man of Steel and was like, okay, it's, it's finally time. I need to watch this. And so I watched it earlier this week. And uh, if you're part of the Facebook group, you saw, hopefully, what I wrote, which basically summed up, I, I took a lot out of the movie, I enjoyed it a lot, and it felt like a continuation of Man of Steel in all the best ways. And so I was really glad to watch that and to talk about it a little bit, not on the podcast, but just through writing out what I saw in the film uh, through the characters, as I like to do on my show and, uh, and just talking about movies in general. Uh, so that was the movie I watched, and I finally also... Uh, wrapped up my Breaking Bad rewatch this past week. I've been doing that for a few months after I got the box set on uh, Blu-ray for Christmas this past year. And I went through and I watched every episode and I watched every special feature as I went. And so it's been a, a, a long project. And this this past week, I finally watched the last season, uh, all 16 episodes of that. And, and there's some devastating stuff in that, but it's, it's just fantastic storytelling and it's wrapped up perfectly. And uh, just throwing this out there, Ryan Johnson directed a couple of episodes in that final... Like Ryan Johnson of, yeah, of, of, of Star Wars. Of Brick. Uh, and Looper. And Looper. Uh, yeah. And Brick. And Brick. <laughs> <laughs> he directed a couple episodes in that final season, and uh, it's especially the one Ozymandias. Uh, completely devastating. Probably the most devastating TV I've ever watched in my life. Um, but so, so good the whole time, whole way through. It was great revisiting that show, which I hadn't watched through since it finished airing. So that's what I've been up to. That's awesome. Patrick, have you seen Breaking Bad? You have not, right? No, but we've had this conversation we about possibly starting it in the fall um, unless our track record for watching TV shows <laughs> Listen, continues. I got really far <laughs> in Battlestar Galactica, folks. I still have like 15 episodes to go. 18. Patrick, he knows, how, he knows how many episodes I have Did left. Confess to me? Patrick finished Battlestar. I'm lagging behind and then I went and started Friday Night Lights so we're probably going to blow through that first, I yes. think. Yeah. But Breaking Bad is on our list Chad to check out. I know I've watched, I think, season one way back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, I know I liked it and I definitely, I definitely would, I think it's going to be a fun TV show to watch. I can count on one hand the number of full like runs of TV shows um, that I've seen and I know that two of them happened when I was on a deployment one time mm -hmm. a six month deployment in the Navy and I blew through Nip Tuck yes Nip Tuck and I was a young <laughs> seaman in the Navy and I watched that for one reason because it had hot chicks in it and number two was uh, Smallville. I watched that same cruise all the seasons of Smallville and gosh I remember wow. how great of an experience that Two shows was. I've never seen. I did not know you watched Smallville. No, Smallville. Yeah, I've seen it in its entirety. Interesting. Yeah, that, yeah that's one of my... I know it's one of your all-time favorites. It is. Uh, realistically, it's not one of the best series. It kind of loses its identity a little bit in the middle of the season, but kind of picks it up near the end of the series. Right, I say middle of the series, but picks it up. So. What about, and I'm pumped to, I was pumped to hear your thoughts on Batman v Superman, mm -hmm. because 
those listeners that have been with us since the very beginning will know that a year and a half ago when Patrick and I started the podcast, it was be- not because of Batman v Superman, but Batman v Superman was kind of like the the push we needed. Right. It was the episode one for a reason. It was episode one <laughs> for a reason, and we felt that it needed some love, and so I'm really excited for your inevitable episode on it as well, which will be steeped in positivity, uh, because we know you're, you're going to do it. Eventually, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that's that's exciting. Patrick, what about you? Well, it's nice to be inspired by your co-host every once in a while. And uh, I went ahead and watched Indie Game the movie shortly after you had recommended it on the podcast. Really enjoyed it. But a, uh, a couple of weeks later, I, uh, I came across a, a deal on Steam that gave me... Indie Game the Movie, the documentary, along with the three actual games that were portrayed in it for less than $15. That's incredible. It is incredible. <laughs> I may have I to go. I own them and I may have to do it. Because I was planning on owning the documentary at some point and was thinking about picking up at least one of the games. I already had Fez in one of my humble indie bundles. And so when I saw the three, I was like, well, I guess I'm just going to have to buy Fez again because you can't pass up a deal like this. And so... I have tinkered with all three of them, but I've spent a lot of my time playing Braid. Now, Braid is this, the mechanics of Braid are what really draw me into it. This idea that you can actually reverse play gameplay by hitting like the shift key or whatever. Um, but the story itself is very cool. It's driven by, uh, it's accented with really great music. And it's, I always know there's a, I always know a game has got me connected uh, because of the amount of time that I spend thinking about it when I'm not playing. Yeah. Or the yeah. amount of time that I spend going, sure. okay, I'm going to take a break for this long so I can knock out a little bit of this. Uh, the Last of Us is one of those, which I still haven't gotten past. David, thanks for helping me out there. I appreciate that. We had other, we were at the arcade. I know. What do you mean? True. So that's going to be... We my, were beating something. That'll be my summer challenge is to finish David, uh, beat David. But also uh, <laughs> <laughs> playing Braid because it's not as... Uh, it's not as... Well, it's difficult. But... I love the fact that it's a puzzle game. I love that it's it, it causes you to just really think through. It's not just a straight platform game, but there was a lot of thought went into it. And in watching the not only the doc but also the indie game, and it's called Aftermath or something like that. It kind of it revisits these three indie developers a couple of years later. Um, they talk a lot about the art in that particular game and how it came to be, and so it's neat to play the game with that kind of background. And uh, the same thing with hopefully Super Meat Boy and Fez, playing these games with the creators in mind. Uh, but it's been a really, really cool experience. I'm excited to get back to it once we uh, once we finish up with this you know, later this week. Well, well, Braid is definitely my favorite of those three as well. Have you played any of them, Braid? I have no. I've heard of Super Meat Boy of those packages. Um, haven't played a whole lot of indie games, to be honest. Uh, but I definitely know the experience of getting lost in something with good storytelling and good gameplay mechanics. And uh, it's definitely something I think I'm going to have to check out eventually. It yeah, feels well thought out. I feel like I feel like indie games would be right up your alley, actually, because you like compact storytelling, mm-hmm. and I know what kind of video games you like in general, and very similar taste to mine. Right. Braid is just it's it is the masterpiece. It's one of my favorite indie games of all time. It's uh, it's just so gorgeous. I mean, literally, you're like playing a watercolor painting. Mm-hmm. Um, That's very cool. It's it almost sounds like uh, Journey, the, the PlayStation game. Yeah, yeah, I love all of that. That game company is what they're called. Mm-hmm. Literally, that game company. Um, Quote that. <laughs> uh, Journey and Fl- Flower and Flow. 
uh, gosh, I think Abzu was their latest. They have uh, just a great lineup of games, but that's cool. I love that you checked those out, and yeah. I'm going to have to see about that deal if it's still on Steam. I believe it is. Yeah, cool. so each game is like three bucks, and then the, ah. the, the indie game is the docus like. And it comes with the, I believe it comes as DLC, the, the doc comes with the, the second, the, the compendium. The other episode after it, like the the aftermath. I think, I think both, you get both of those together. So, so ending in the movie. I haven't watched. Game. Yeah, I haven't watched the sequel yet. So. It's really good. Yeah, the Steam so, summer sale is a beautiful thing. It really is. <laughs> it's a dangerous thing. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, I admittedly have not been watching a lot recently because I was on a cruise. I'm sure you're all super jealous that I didn't get to watch anything. Um, but um, I did. I did rewatch Kung Fu Panda three and Rio and Home. That was what I got to see on the cruise, so yay. Uh, but honestly, I did. I spent a week on the Carnival Fantasy uh, ship and had a blast. They had some, I mean, I, I was blown away, honestly, because they had like Las Vegas style shows, mm-hmm. musical shows. And these things were about 45 minutes long, or three different ones. One focused on Motown music, one on music of the Brits, mm-hmm. and one on country music. And they were just phenomenal. Um, when they were talking, they did a Q&A talking about them, and they said that the shows cost a million dollars a piece to put these on. It's insane. With crew and pyrotechnics and all this stage, on, and all this on a, on a cruise ship, right? Nothing like my sailing days when I was in the Navy, I can tell you that. <laughs> you weren't watching Smallville in your cruise, apparently. No, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, uh, so I've, I haven't been watching a lot. I'm excited to get back into it for sure. I, I missed the community, uh, being active with the Facebook group and the Twitter and, and all the listeners, and I, I just realized I really miss watching stuff, so that's one of the things I'm, I'm excited to get back to once I'm done with my vacation and back to my routine. Um, and I'm excited next week, because we're going to be covering Spider-Man, and actually we're going to see that with another fellow podcaster of ours, uh, host, uh, well, guest host at times, Blaine Grimes, uh, who does Real World Rewind and Home One Radio. So if you're looking for a Star Wars podcast, Home One Radio is where it's at. He hosts that one. Yeah, podcasting, man, it brings us all together. It do- <laughs> Apparently it does. Um, all right, guys. Well, with that being said, I think it's, it's time, time to, to talk about this movie, right? So For real this time. For right? real, yeah, for real. <laughs> so if you're still with us, hey, thanks. <laughs> and if you're not, I guess I'm talking to the dead air. So... Baby Driver has, I think, an estimated almost $21 million that it's pulling in this weekend, and that is by far Edgar Wright's highest-grossing opening weekend, and it's on pace to just destroy pretty much everything else. Okay, so it's, it's over 30 already in the United States. Um, his movies are, have a following, though. Uh, we were talking things like Scott Pilgrim, one of our favorites, um, The World's End... Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead, which are all the Cornetto trilogy. He has a, he has some fans, um, but this one this one has a ninety seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes. This has almost across the board four and a half five star ratings on Letterboxd. People love this movie, so I know you all want to know, and we need to tell you what did we think about it. So, Patrick, you get the honors of going first, telling us initial impressions. What do you think of Baby Driver? Well, I was I was definitely 
into it from the very beginning. I thought it grabbed me from the from the very start. I'm a big fan of car chase sequences, and um, when you can add music as a companion, a companion to that during a film, I think it it uh, it definitely amplifies that. Um, I, I had a really good time watching it. There were a lot of parts that I, that I smiled at. There were a lot of parts that I was kind of tense. And so I, I went through this kind of gamut of, of energetic emotions, of, of excitement, of, of uh, some, some sadness here and there, and a little bit of like frustration and anger, but towards characters that I'm supposed to feel angry and frustrated with. Um, but I think that, for the most part, it did what it was supposed to do for me. It met my expectations. I, I'd seen maybe a couple of trailers. I didn't intentionally avoid them, but this was not one. This was one that was actually slated to release later this year, and it got pushed up. And so it kind of piqued my interest a little bit more. I typically try not to think too far down the line when it comes to like feature films happening three, four, or five months from now. And so going into this, I, I somewhat went to, went into a blind, and it definitely met my expectations. So if I had to give it a star review, I'd say it's between a three and a half and a four for me. Okay, cool, cool. I'm glad that's a good thing. I'm glad it, you didn't hate it, so you proved me wrong. Okay. Chad, what about you? I know you love music, so... Yes, and that's basically the only thing I really knew about this movie going in, was that its soundtrack was featured in a major way, sort of almost Guardians of the Galaxy-like, but this was almost more story-based in a lot of ways, or at least the way it was featured was a lot more integral to what was going on than in Guardians of the Galaxy. Um so I, I like I loved that aspect of it. I was really looking forward to it. Other than that, I didn't know anything about this movie going in. I I basically well I'll, I'll just say it. I've never seen an Edgar Wright film until this movie. That's sad. You shouldn't I, have said I, that. I, I know. I know. Um, and <laughs> Scott Pilgrim is definitely on the list after you guys have talked about it. And uh, At World's End was something I was interested in at the time it came out, but I didn't get around to it for some reason. Um, now. At the moment, I don't have a whole lot of interest in the, the rest of the Cornetto trilogy, but I'm sure I'll make my way back to those eventually. All that goes to being said that Baby Driver, I was still excited for it despite my inexperience with Edgar Wright just because of all the hype that was going into it. And um, Based on his previous success, I didn't think it was really misplaced. I, I figured, okay, the consensus is this, so it must be this. It must be cool. It must be fun. And... Uh, for the most part, walking out of the movie, I did feel that. I thought it was a fun movie. I enjoyed it. But part of it also reminds me of my initial experience of Mad Max Fury Road, which was a whole lot of stuff is happening, and I didn't get all that attached to it. Now, I would say this was a more positive experience for me than my first time watching Mad Max Fury Road. And I will say that I, I have since rewatched Mad Max and liked it a whole lot more the second time. Uh, but that being said... I did enjoy this movie, and uh, looking forward to talking more in depth in just a moment. Awesome. Well, I will complete the trilogy and say that I liked it quite a bit for reasons. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate to be the detract, detractor, and so here's the thing: when a movie gets hyped to the level of this, right? It happens a handful of times every year. Usually, Star Wars is one of those times. Now, guaranteed. Um, Rogue One. Rogue One. That's Star Wars, Patrick. Very good. Congratulations. Patrick knows that Star Wars and Rogue One are the same thing. Um, but yeah, exactly. So this kind of level of expectations for me can be very, very, very bad. I really was excited for this. The music aspect of it had me hooked. I love musicals. Very documented. Well, well, well documented here. Um, didn't know what kind of musical this was going to be. 
this film, I thought, did what it was supposed to do, like Patrick said. It highlighted the action well. It had pretty awesome car chases and uh, gun shootout scenes, and it had um, just style, style, style. It oozed style from the acting to the set pieces to the costuming to everything. Um, colors popped, sounds, you know, hit the right beats, etc., all that stuff. But for me, it was definitely missing an element of caring that you mentioned, Chad. I, I, had, I was an investment, I would say. I, I, did, I had a little, I didn't have enough investment for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt a little generic to me as far as the story went of just guy stuck in crime, doesn't really want to be there, doing it anyway, trying to get out, movie over. You know, like, I mean, it was kind of, it was eh, boy meets girl. They like each other because they think each other are cute, I guess, and we move on. And so, for those reasons, I I couldn't fall in love with this the way that I think a lot of my fellow critics and our listeners all have. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's fine. I love that people have loved this movie, but I needed a little more to fall in love with it. That being said, it was super fun. It was. (laughs) And it was one of the best, like, theater experiences because someone, I forget who it was, I think it was Don Shanahan from one of our film film contributors and in his latest what uh, what's the column called his column that he puts, puts what on we our, learned this week yeah what we learned this week every see I can't edit this out wow how embarrassing <laughs> um, <laughs> um, the column what we learned this week from Don Shanahan that comes out every Friday he talked about the soundtrack and he specifically mentioned he said go see this in the loudest theater you can because of the soundtrack I'm on board with that the soundtrack was phenomenal. The songs all made sense. It felt like they were like picked not just for their beats, they were picked for their lyrics, and that was awesome. So right. I like that about it a lot. Well, and the music is a strong component of this because it feels like a supporting actor. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Guardians of the Galaxy. It is a soundtrack. In other words, it's accenting the, the action of the movie, whereas there are moments in Baby Driver where he actually rewinds a song and says, oh, wait, we can't start now. You know, So these pieces become an integral part of the actual high school moments. It's not just that he likes music. I mean, it, it even makes its way uh, to the forefront at one point when they're talking about why music is so important to him. Mm-hmm. The thing that's detrimental about that, though, is the fact that we don't have, we don't have the, uh, the ability to slow down. Right. And I think that's what for me was missing as well was this moment of like can we breathe we need to breathe for a minute it seemed like it seemed like you were going through a playlist and you were going okay next track okay next track and every song had to be featured in each scene and there were maybe a couple of moments where it was just orchestration where it was actual score mm-hmm. and I felt like we got I mean it was 90% soundtrack 10% score mm-hmm. and because the music plays such an important role in the film I think we didn't get enough balance there. I don't feel like we had room to breathe and to to care about these moments with with Baby and with Deborah like we like we wanted to. Like I think Bright wanted us to because it was just okay. It was here. Okay, let's go. Right. And it's fast. It is fast. It is fast. It's like very very fast. Pace. I was waiting and kind of like anxiously waiting constantly. Like okay, now the music's gonna stop and we're gonna have a conversation for a second to give me something. And it just it never happens. I mean, it does a couple times, like in the hideout with Doc. Mm-hmm. When Doc's talking to them, there's a couple right. brief moments where there's some conversation. But for the most part, um, 
yeah, that doesn't exist. And that was that was a little bit of a detriment, but you know, it's a balance, like you said, mm-hmm. because it's also so so cool and unique. And I think that's probably what people are going gaga over. And what we love about it is we don't. We, somebody's grinding coffee. Yay! Uh, <laughs> sorry, uh, we. <laughs> We, um, I lost my train of thought. I'm stuck in like espresso land. We're talking about music. <laughs> we're talking about music. Um, we don't, we're not used to a film that literally moves from song to song to song. Right. Telling the action. Right. And the other thing I liked about it was that he uses visuals to accent the songs. Like the, the moment after the initial car chase, here's Baby Driver. I want to call him Baby Driver. Like, this is full name, right? <laughs> it's, it's like... Driver. Mr. Driver. Baby Driver. <laughs> exactly. Like, Shaking nuts. <laughs> so he gets coffee, right? And he goes to the coffee shop. And as he's walking, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but the lyrics... Yeah. Would, on the walls yeah, and just, on the... Yeah. Some of the graffiti, like, whenever the song... And to me, again, that, that just reinforces the fact that, right, was saying the music has to be a central component of this film. Mm-hmm. Not only for the characters themselves, but also for the audience. And so from that moment, I, I knew, okay, aside from the world telling us that the soundtrack is amazing, this is now a key player in the story. And, uh, and I thought it was very creative the way it does that. Walter Mitty's opening credits are kind of like that, where the use of typography and just the, the little subtle things that you're seeing here that, for me, I think just really were nice. I was smiling from the, from the very beginning of that. Were there any tracks or like specific sections of the music that really stood out to you guys? Well, I think the, those first two, especially the, the bell bottoms at, uh, during the first chase sequence, was one of the well, it was probably the best chase we- sequence in the whole film, uh, where he's oh, pulling on the parking brake and yeah. and doing these quick turnarounds, and it was very very cool, and the music fits it perfectly. And then the scene that Patrick was just talking about, where Baby is walking down the sidewalk and just having a good time being him and getting coffee and taking a break from driving for a minute that that was those were probably my two favorite scenes of the film to be honest i love those songs and i love that they they amplify the the scenes there it gives us a lot of it gives us swagger to to baby Mm -hmm. you know he's just this and i i was kind of like i was kind of in the mindset of this of that first group of of like team it was like, is he mentally challenged? What's the deal? What's going on? Because he doesn't talk. He just listens to music. But he's and so seeing him just sort of walk, almost like just like strutting, getting the coffee and coming back. Uh, that particular song was, was phenomenal. I like the the songs in particular that he was going back and forth talk, talking to Deborah about. You know about what songs mentioned her name and what songs you know, mentioned Baby and stuff like that. I thought those were kind of cool, especially when he finds out um, I guess it's what her song is and then he goes and finds it. Right. And, and then ends up singing it back in his apartment. I thought that was, uh, that was pretty great. I like those two songs. Yeah, I, I agree with those as well. I really like Bell Bottoms. I, and I, I like the fact that I didn't know most of the songs, to be honest with you. Me that, that stuck out to me mm-hmm. was that these are like very obscure tracks. I mean, these are by T-Rex. <laughs> what a great joke. Um, Trex, I think, is the name of the band that he, he said Deborah was sung by, and she's like, T-Rex? That's exactly what I would have said. Yep. No, it yeah. Is, it is T-Rex. Oh, it's literally T-Rex. Okay. It's the same guys who did Banga Gong get it on. Oh, that helps. Yeah. That helps so much, Chad. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to Hastings after this. Um, but yeah, I can see why so many people rushed out to grab this soundtrack. I know we have a listener... 
podcast, another podcaster named uh, MJ Smith, who's one of our our listeners, and he collects like vinyl records, and he's already posted a picture of the, this one looks awesome, uh, and I can imagine like how it would be great to just put this on in your living room and dance around and clean the house and basically do the same things like the baby is doing when he's right. you know singing and dancing around the house, like you said, Patrick, to his foster father Joe Joseph Joseph. Mm-hmm. Um, the other scenes where the music really stood out to me, and, and these are not specific tracks, but I want to transition a minute to this. The scenes that stood out were the choreography of the shootouts. There's there's two different shootouts that really did this. One of them was the one where they shoot the the, the police officers that are they're doing the gun sale, right? And, tequila and the tequila. Every that was my favorite scene of the movie, I think. I just enjoyed the absolute crap out of all of that. The way the whole thing went down, um, every cock of the gun, every bullet fired, every thud of a man falling down. I've never seen something like that so well choreographed. Um, and I loved it. I loved it. And yeah, and then with the grenade and then that Jamie Fox saying tequila, it was perfect. I mean, just perfect. He was awesome. Um, there's that one, and then this happened again sort of at the end of the film, I think, when there was a shootout where Buddy and Monica um, are shooting up against cops, and Monica ends up dying. Yeah. Spoiler warning, by the way. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, spoilers in the rest of this episode, in case you're listening and you haven't seen the movie yet. But um, I really like the choreography and the way that they, they let the music go into that as well. I will say one of my other favorite uh, song choices was the use of Easy by the Commodores. Um, the first time we hear it is when uh, Baby is leaving the, the garbage yard after disposing of the truck with a dead guy in it. And th- this is right after he has settled his debt with the doc, and he's, he's done. He says, I'm out, I'm done, now I can go live the rest of my life without the pressure of being put into these situations and witnessing more death, possibly. And that doesn't really mean a whole lot, except it's probably the slowest song we've gotten up to that point, until at the very end when he and Deborah are making their getaway, and she is listening to the cassette tape that features his mother singing the same song. And so it gives a little bit of extra meaning to that earlier scene in retrospect, which I thought was great. That was one of my favorite usages of a specific song, rather than just the way something fit around a song. Right, right, right. I think that... There were a lot of components about the film that felt so. To your to, to your point, Aaron, this is a very formulaic story. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen this story played out, and to me, that's okay mm-hmm. because when you can add elements to it that are visually interesting, that are orally interesting, that are uh, when you have a good script attached to it, I don't care that I've seen the hero's quest a dozen times, right? I like the Harry Potter journeys, and I like the Lord of the Rings journeys, and I love the, you know, it's it's the same thing, just packaged differently, and you get attached to different things. So the things that I enjoyed about this, uh, first of all, I love the fact that I can get comfortable with that story, because I know, in a sense, what's coming, but how it gets retold is kind of a surprise to me. I love the fact that uh, Kevin Spacey's character's name is Doc. Doc. Mm-hmm. How Doc uses different people. For each job, right? Or he doesn't use the same four people. So mm-hmm. by the, I guess the beginning of the third act, we notice that he uses similar people, but not from the same job. So if like you got persons mm-hmm. A, B, C, and D in one, and E, F, G, and H, he might use A and B. Yeah, it's almost like he compiled a dream team. Exactly. Of sorts. Yeah. 
but he never does. He never uses the exact same tune twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love his. I, I love the fact that uh, that was creative to me. I love the fact that Baby creates mixtapes from dialogue. That he Dude, captures. that was that was awesome. I'm glad you brought that up. That I was so glad. awesome. Because again, it plays into the idea of the importance of music, <laughs> especially when they play it back, thinking that he's lying. Yeah, absolutely. And Monica's so like, "That is what it is. That is what it is, right?" But I also love the fact that he has a different iPod based on different moods or different uh, like mental states that he wants to get into. So when he brings up that bedazzle, pink, pink bedazzle <laughs> iPod for Deborah, she's like. I guess you're. In, I guess she says. I guess you're in a pink mood. He goes. I guess I am. <laughs> pink sequin kind of mood. Yeah. I am now. Um, I, I think those are so. They, they say a lot about who he is. Not just that he's a fan of music, but that he's a fan of compartmentalizing his emotions and his moments. Like even even when Bunny was asking him, you know, what's your favorite track to drive to, and he mentions the Queen song mm-hmm. uh, again. That. We get we get more information about who Baby is over the course of the film through those different moments, and I thought that was a really great storytelling device. It helped me care more about him that he wasn't just a driver, yes. but he had a past, um, and then he actually has a present, you know, and then eventually he has a future. So um, I thought those were really great. So we we talked about car chases briefly. I've heard it said this is the best car chases of a movie ever. It's the Do best, best use of the, the best depiction of a shell game, that's for sure, with those three cars. I thought that, that was, was awesome. That was sick. <laughs> that was, that was absolutely awesome. Yeah, I agree. Um, th- but that was all that first car chase, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought the far- first car chase was, was right up there with some of the best I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that it's the best for me. I think the music really heightens it. Heightens it. Mm-hmm. And if, it you, if you include the entire start of the car chase being like the scene, meaning when he's dancing and singing in the in the car and you're getting the sense of understanding that every beat of this film is going to be set to music. Every opening of a car door and changing of a seatbelt, all that. I also love, by the way, to segue real quick, go backwards, just that moment where he tells uh, Jamie Foxx, Bat's character, when he's like, oh, wait, hold on. You guys didn't leave on time. I have to rewind. <laughs> yeah. And he rewinds the music to get the time. And, and then like, he's like, Go, go. <laughs> I love that part. But um, that first scene is awesome. What did you think about the rest of the chase scenes? Did they stick out to you at all? Or they they really, I think it was the heightened greatness of that first scene that really kind of created a little detriment with the rest of it. That's I mean, what they, I thought, they were too. Yeah. I thought it was a but little they, bit of a downhill from there. And it was great to get into, but it, it does feel like a letdown when everything else feels sort of like your standard car chase. It felt yep. more like a Fast and Furious movie after that, and not really anything different. Yeah, Yeah. well, the first scene, I think, was definitely showing him at his peak, and then after that is when new things start coming into the equation. Somebody dies on the second job, uh, and he's shaken by that, clearly, and that's when things start messing up, and other people start showing up and interfering with the car chase, and... Uh, so things start going south that time. And then at the very end, there's really not much of a chase. It's just him driving from point A to point B a few times. Uh, so, yeah, I think there's definitely not a car chase that is equal to that first one in this movie, at least. But I think that's okay, because mm-hmm. what the story's doing is creating that sense of in- invincibility to vulnerability that we're seeing with, with the course of his character. Mm-hmm. I think that each car chase... Invoking because what we see in that first one is he didn't have any problems whatsoever. Right. In that second one, 
he started having a few problems. And the third one, and the, I mean, subsequently, he kept, I mean, he was hitting more cars right. than he was hitting the street, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that when, when what Wright did well was he created more vulnerability within that world that he felt the most comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Like, he knows he's a great driver. Right. And we know that he wants to get out of it, but he won't compromise his ability to be a great driver for the sake of wanting to get out of it. Like, he never sabotages that. The only time I think we get that is when he tries to sneak out, but he never compromises a job. He never says, I'm going to leave now. He always fulfills it. But I think that the, those, those car chases got subsequently worse in a sense that there were just more issues and more issues as a result of him becoming... Interesting. I like the, that reading of it. I mean, you're right, because that... It's it's nice to it actually elevates the film for me if that's the case like mm-hmm. if they're getting more frantic and less perfect calculated because of his mental state right mm-hmm. which makes sense I mean that's a great way to look at that uh, you actually kind of randomly triggered something I wanted to ask you it wasn't does, random I triggered <laughs> does anyone you will wait till you see this wait till you hear this do you think that he had any kind of actual feelings of friendship or a relationship with Doc. Did you get the sense at all that there was any genuineness to that relationship? Or did he was he simply just being used and you know, Doc makes the joke there at the end about like stop feeding me monsters ain't clients. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew it was a line for something, but I couldn't place it. So I, I was like, yes when he when he said it, I was like, that's it, right? I, now I remember. Um, but briefly I felt that in the performances and the acting, which I thought was quite good all the way around. I, I kind of got the sense that maybe there is some of that surrogate level of, even though this person has wronged me and, and they know that he's used me, he's also sort of taking care of me and he's kind of kept his word and I don't want to see him hurt either. Right. Well, it's funny that we made the Guardians of the Galaxy comparison because it's very much a uh, Star-Lord Yondu situation, I think. I think it's very purposeful that Wright sets up the whole movie that Doc is just using Baby for this job and nothing else. But then at the end of the film, who does Baby go to for help in his time of need? Doc. And he's hesitant at first, but eventually he, he sacrifices himself so Baby can escape. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think there's definitely some sort of surrogate relationship there. Uh, definitely not quite in the emotional gut punch that Yondu was. But uh, I, I guess Guardians of the Galaxy 2 spoilers. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever. We're live. Deal with it. But uh, I, I think that's definitely something worth pointing out is that there is a little bit of a, a surrogate situation going on. I would agree with that. Although I think it kind of falls apart when it tries to be that more intentionally. In particular, when... I didn't feel like there was enough connection early on in the film and throughout the film between those two that at the moment that that Doc sacrifices himself for Baby, it didn't... I didn't connect with it. Like, I guess I should have. I felt like it was a bit forced, like it was a yeah. bit... Contrived. Like a little, yeah, left Just like, oh, we need, like the, we need this to happen well, to make like, the story good. And I think the moment that it kind of broke down for me was when when Deborah comes in and he... And, and, to the garage, into the, essentially into the frame, and Doc goes, oh man, are you kidding me? Okay, take your tape. Wait, hold on. You have just made a valid argument for not giving him his tape back, and just because he brings in a girl... A girl whose life you've threatened previously. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you give him his tape, and then you have a throwaway line of, I was in love once. I mean... Yeah, kind I know. Of that's what I was saying. That, that's right. kind of where it broke down for me. I like the idea of it, but I didn't mm-hmm. necessarily like the execution as well. Right, there wasn't yeah, enough. It wasn't as tight. Yeah, 
there wasn't enough in the film to kind of justify that moment for mm-hmm. me to feel any kind of emotional connection with him. Now, I will say the relationship that I kind of clung to the most, and I don't know if everybody else felt this way or not, but for me, the one that really stuck out and the one that on a new, on a rewatch I'm most excited to really focus in on was Baby and Buddy. And because of that, I wasn't a fan of how quickly it devolved quite into the franticness of the action. Mm-hmm. I thought I thought the movie, it was weird because I think it was under two hour runtime. Yeah. And it felt like it kind of went along a little bit long for me. Felt mm-hmm. longer than that. Yeah. Um, because I think that final sequence really started to drag. But when when Monica dies and that Buddy is like the best friend Baby has had to me. I love those scenes where he sticks up for him, uh, where he comes over and listens to music with him. I feel like there's a genuine relationship between, and, and even Monica too. Like they stuck, they considered Baby as like someone to look, take, take care of and um, be responsible for. And so... I, I, I was sad and shocked and hated. I knew that was coming, right? You know when Monica dies, he's going to blame Baby, and he's going to become the one that goes after him. And I really liked kind of the, the, the more subtle, softer way in which that happens after the initial shootout goes bad, and then he shows up at the diner. I, I really wish it would have ended there. I think when we tacked on him showing up later, I was... At that point, I kind of rolled my eyes, and I was like, all right, now we're really just pushing this for more action at this point. Right, I agree um, When I would have had more of an emotional punch had it ended with Baby having to kill him, because those two did, it, much like I was talking about with Doc, like, those two had a relationship. Mm-hmm. You could, you had built, right, built that, and you could visibly see that and feel that. Especially when you look as at Buddy as a contrast to Bats, and mm-hmm. it's the introduction of Bats as a character mm-hmm. that really sort of turns baby's world upside down in the first place is this character who's so chaotic and is so willing to to commit acts of violence and to kill people and that's not a situation that he's used to you if you watch carefully in that first scene before the car chase as he's watching buddy and uh what's what's her name again monica Uh, deborah darling or darling uh yeah where he's watching buddy and darling uh and the other person go into the bank and commit the robbery he's you see the violence but nobody is clearly dying yeah but then when the the next scene comes up the next uh heist scene bats kills a guy and you can see that he's clearly shaken and so that's the contrast is that bats is this agent of chaos and buddy is this guy who is standing up for baby a little bit and is trying to be buddy buddy a little bit and they're they're co-workers rather than sort of headbutting enemies like right. bats and baby end up being there's an interesting thing that happens in that scene by the way that i noticed where much to patrick's point about how the mental state of baby is affecting and shows things transitioning throughout the film as, as he progresses but where in that in that scene the, the second robbery with bats he drives the car forward during the initial takeover mm-hmm to not see what's happening. And we see in that very first bank robbery where he's his eyes are locking on to, we see focus in on the camera on um, Buddy with the gun, or actually it's John Barthol's character, who I don't remember his name because he was gone real quick. Um, but like he's, he, it's almost like maybe he's like, oh gosh, is he going to actually shoot somebody? Like he's worried about that happening and we he notices that it doesn't. And so then when that Bats happens with Bats, he drives forward and right. tries to 
avoid seeing anything. And I, I thought that was interesting. He clearly wanted to kind of try and separate himself. What did you guys think of Bats and acting in general, but specifically Jamie Foxx? Jamie Foxx scares me. Or Bats scares me. <laughs> Jamie Foxx is, wow. Um, I think one of my, the, the moment, the, a line that really sticks out to me is when they're in the warehouse looking over the Port Barrel Buffet, which I love the description of all that, but that was fantastic. Um, and when, before all that, one of the henchmen says, have I met you before? And he goes, are you still alive? Yeah. <laughs> then you probably haven't. You know, that line, I think, really epitomizes who Bats is. And I'm, you know, I legitimately am scared by this guy. And I think that's a strong thing that Wright does and what Jamie Foxx brings to the table in, to, to you guys' point that he is so different from these other folks. Yeah. Like, he is the wild card. He is the crazy. And I love at the beginning he says, no, I'm the crazy one. No, There's I'm, only room for one of me yeah. in the group. You can't be crazy. Cause yeah. I'm and and I love that he is, but he's also formulaic in that every, the ones that we see, every robbery, he says the exact same thing. They took our money. You know, it's time for us to go get it back. You know, they, yeah, almost as if he's kind of reciting this justification for why he's I think doing he is. Yeah, I mm-hmm. think he's trying to tell himself it's okay. Yeah, and you know, even like in the diner, he says, "You guys rob to support your drug habit. I do drugs to support my robbing habit." Mm-hmm. And all these different things just create a sense of dissonance between him and the rest of the team. So you you create an outlier. So by the time a they, villain within the villain, exactly. Yeah. So by the time you create this this character, his demise is the most satisfactory, I think, of any of the deaths in oh, this yeah. film for me. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, it's Baby finally saying no. And, exactly. And driving off and getting rid of him once and for all. Rebar in the brain. You know, it's just... It's awesome. It was... Well, yeah. I, I mean, it was gross, but it was awesome, <laughs> too. But, gee, I mean, that's a fist pump moment for, for someone who's like, yes, you're finally, you're finally uh, standing up for yourself, and you're finally whatever, but... Uh, I wanted more of that relationship between Buddy and Baby. I think it seemed to have the most strength behind it. I agree exactly with you. I, I was thinking that exact same thing. Like after the diner scene, I'm going, why are we still going? And why are we, is this the Return of the King? Are we getting like 15 different endings here? <laughs> because it just felt like okay, you're I just didn't dra- like it. You're yeah. just dragging it out, which made the ending, like the final sequence, that much more okay. I mean, it just didn't feel as satisfactory as I think ending it at that point would. So let me ask you a question, Chad. I'll ask you this first. Did you? What did? How did? What was your reading of the ending? Ending after in these prison cells, the fifth ending, the like the fifth or sixth one, yeah, where he sees Deborah in black and white. He's coming out of the prison. She slowly changes into color, and we see them embrace. What is? Is that dream? Is that reality? What's going on there? I think it's probably reality. If you you watch the 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 witnesses in the court hearings, they are clearly sympathetic towards him because he was sympathetic towards them in the first place. He was committing these acts of kindness along the way, though he was ultimately committing crimes while doing it. And they talk about how he had the possibility of parole after five years. And so I'd like to think that because of his track record of doing good things for people, uh, despite everything else, then maybe he got, he was able to reach parole after five years and was able to reunite with Deborah, and that also reinforces that their connection was a, a genuine one and not something that was just short-lived uh, infatuation. Okay. Cool. What about you? I think it was a dream. Okay. And I say that because uh, if we go logistically, I don't know anybody that could own that car after. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> of course, they had the 
they had the what they, the money orders, but who they had defense on because they killed everybody that defense on. Uh, logistically, I don't know that that could have been a real moment with him. I think yes, he could have met her. I don't think he was. He didn't seem to age after five years. Of course, he was a young kid, so we don't know. But also from the sense of, I think he was dressed in all white. Was he dressed in all white in that scene? He that was wearing a white shirt and jeans. Okay, so I think there was a sense of kind of a dreamlike state with otherworldliness. Yeah, it just it, it felt too good to be true mm-hmm. to me. The scene right before that, the, the shot right before it, was him putting up those postcards mm-hmm. and, and hearing her letter being read to him. To me, I think that was his his fantasy, his his thing that he would think about every day until he got out. I have no doubt that they got together, right? but I felt like, it just felt too much like a perfect bow for that. Yeah. Like, I would have almost rather have the shot, the final shot being him looking at those postcards, having her letter... Uh, finalized, you know, with you always, love, Deborah, black, credits, roll. Mm-hmm. Because we can, we can, you know, we can then kind imagine. Of imagine what could be, but by showing that, I don't know that even if it's ambiguous, it really strengthens the ending for me. But I would say a dream for me. Okay, well, I'll break the tie. I'll say I think it was a dream. <laughs> so, sorry, Chad. Um, but part of that is my hope, because I don't like the ending at all. If it's real, and my reasoning is this: it's I be, I love realism in films, and even in a, a stylish action film that's very much style over substance, heightened craziness that's kind of unrealistic. Like I want some realism, and for me, I don't buy the relationship between him and Deborah that, that you meet in a coffee shop and. You go to a laundromat on a date, and you maybe go to dinner once, and all of a sudden you're in love. Now, I do understand you go through a traumatic experience, that there's a connection there. But to think that that's going to suddenly last, and someone's going to give away five years of their life to wait on this person, to me, is it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, and I have a hard time buying that right. from what we saw on mm-hmm. screen. Um, I also... I, I have a little bit of a problem with the anti-hero idea of baby, uh, of rooting for him. I'm torn. Um, I do root for him mostly, mm-hmm. but I, 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 can, I can understand in context like the jurors, right? This guy was started at a young age. He was manipulated. He didn't have a choice necessarily. He was nice along the way. But it's kind of like I teach my kids. You know, at some point... You are responsible for your own actions, and I don't. I think that's a problem with society in general today. Is that we don't typically hold people responsible for their own actions anymore. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Baby's an adult. Baby knew he was committing crimes. Yes, it would have been the hard thing to say no and try to stop, and it could have gotten him killed, perhaps, or it might have been scary. But he made the choice to continue risking it and doing these things knowing the cost and I, I don't think there's a absolution for that and mm-hmm. so I was really I was really nervous to be honest when they were getting ready to read the thing I was like oh my gosh if they let him off so I was pleased that he did get sentenced um, and so I I don't know I just I'm torn on it was I was always torn on the ending and rooting for him and how much do I say yay baby <laughs> because he knew what he was doing and he did it for himself too. I mean, yes, he did it for his his uh, his you know he did it for what we would consider a good cause, but it's still crime. 
knowingly. So anyway, I don't know. I I like to think of it was a dream, and we don't know what happened. He's just still sitting in prison doing his, you know, five years, and maybe he gets out on parole. Probably so because he's good at washing cop cars. I'll say that I agree that their relationship did move pretty quickly, but I I liked their relationship. I thought it was sweet. I I thought they interacted with each other well. Um, but yes, it does move fast. Yeah, they do follow for each other awfully fast. Um, I will say though, I was really glad that he did sort of get his comeuppance in the end. That he didn't escape scot free, right? Uh, driving off into the sunset with Deborah. I, it, watching Breaking Bad, especially this past week, I mean, it's about characters who have to answer for their actions eventually, and that's what Baby has to do in this movie. He answers for the crimes he's committed, and I, I like you. I'm glad for the realism in that situation. That, that, that this character who was committing crimes, who was helping people do awful things and steal money from people, uh, did have to spend some time, at least at least five years, but spend time nonetheless uh, for crimes committed. So. And, and I like that he gave himself up. Yes. Yeah. That makes me able to stomach it and take it, because then I can kind of root for him. Because, sure. like, he's, he is, like I just said, he's taking responsibility for his actions at that point, which is the right thing to do. Right. I especially like the moments... The shots in prison. Um, there was a there were a couple of times when he was, I guess, folding laundry or passing laundry, and you see his his head kind of moving. And I love the fact that even in those moments, he still has music in his head. Mm-hmm. That he somehow lets that component of his life still take hold, and I think it somehow provides comfort for him. Mm-hmm. Whereas on the outside, it was a it was a key component of him being a successful driver inside prison. We see those moments where he is adapting to that life, using those those pieces of himself. And it, in a sense, he doesn't really lose himself in that. But, um, but I was going to say, that's another place I would have been okay with the film ending kind of previous to where it did, is a moment that I really love the setup for when... Buddy, who, by the way, I really love his acting. I turned to Chad during the movie, and I was like, oh my gosh, is that John Hamm? Because he doesn't look like, I mean, he, he's John Hamm, right. but like, comparatively, that gruffness and the tattoos and stuff is not the John Hamm that I'm yeah, used to. This is not Mad Men. This is not Mad Men, John Hamm. <laughs> so I turned to Chad, and I said, yeah, that's John Hamm. And then, but his acting was phenomenal. But the moment when he's in the garage, and he says, you took someone I love from me. And now I'm going to have to do the same to you. And he shoots. What we find out later is he shoots the gun by his ear to make him have his ears ring. I thought he was doing it to ruin his hearing. In essence, taking away his ability to hear music, which is what he loved. And then he was going to let him go, right? He wasn't going to kill the girl. It was going to be like a different kind of vengeance. And I was like, man, that is brutal. Like, Mm -hmm. I would have liked that to have been the ending, too. Like, right. versus then still trying to kill the girl. Like, if he was going to, you know, because that would have been... Devastating like, to this character. Yeah, but that would have been the worst thing you could do to him, practically. So, um, I thought that was kind of a cool moment. Again, not fully paid off the way I liked, but I enjoyed that it was in there. Mm-hmm. That yeah. he knew Baby well enough to know, like, this is where we're... This is going to be a problem for you. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so anything else we want to hit on before we move on to the connecting point? Did I miss anything? Or did we miss anything? No. All right, well, Chad, connecting point. This is that good old moment. I don't think you've ever had one because you did Doctor Strange with me, and I think yeah, it was well, a minisode. Yeah, that was a minisode, and uh, I don't think I've been on a full episode, so. Yay, we're popular. <laughs> Sherry, can I say that? Okay, um, <laughs> anyway, 
Kids, don't ask your parents what that means. So, Chad, <laughs> you can kick us off by telling us what your connecting point was, which was that moment in the film where, obviously, you felt the most connected to it emotionally or it made you feel the most. What What did you come up with? Okay, so my connecting point was that scene at the end when Baby surrenders to the police. Uh, you see they are trapped. The The highway is blocked off. They turn around. They come up behind them and block that off, too. There's really no escape here. But here is uh, Deborah gunning the gunning the engine, getting ready to take him on however she can. And he leans over, baby leans over, kisses her, takes out the key, and says, you don't need to be part of this life. and Or something to that effect. I'm paraphrasing. But he, in that moment, he's accepting responsibility for his actions, however much say in them he did or did not have. He's also saving her from getting trapped in the life that he was first trapped into. Uh, he didn't choose this lifestyle. He got caught stealing a car uh, as a kid from Doc, and hey, now begins your servitude. And that's the debt he's been paying off all these many years. He didn't want Deborah to get trapped into that, that same sort of lifestyle of fast driving and hurting people and stealing and all that kind of stuff. So he's, he essentially saves her from that by sacrificing himself, accepting responsibility, and uh, turning himself into the cops. So that, that was my connecting point. Yeah, I especially like the small moment where she steps on the gas and he pushes the brake. I love that. That was mm-hmm. so good. This is a great shot. I also like him taking the keys out and, and intentionally it. throwing it overboard. Um, I held my breath, to be honest with you, for, for a moment because I was like, oh, please don't do this. Please don't have him get out of the car, reach to throw the keys away, and get gunned down. Because So I was watching very closely, and I love the way Wright directed and made sure that Ansel's acting portrayed genuine, like, every movement he made, to me, felt, like, realistic. Like, I'm showing you the keys. Here they are. I'm turning around. My hands are going behind my back. I'm really doing I, I'm doing everything that he knew would not get him shocked. Right. Right. And I liked how specific that was in that moment. So, um, yeah, good good pick. Patrick, what about you? Well, I think Baby and Deborah's relationship was one that, well, the ending was kind of eh for me. Their initial meeting and then the subsequent pre-date that they had at the laundromat, uh, prefaced by their, their diner conversation, really... Can really resonated with me. I thought that, first of all, their chemistry is great. I think mm-hmm. that in the moments that we see with them where he's, where they're having a conversation specifically about names, how she's frustrated that her sister has more songs with her name in it than <laughs> Deborah. Right. And Mary. And Mary, yeah. And how Baby has, you know, all these, you know, songs with names in them, with his name in them. I, I love the banter between the two. I love the fact that he wants her to feel included and feel important, and so he shares the song with that he knows with Deborah and in her uh, to her, and then she kind of does the same to him. But the moment in the laundromat where where he's sharing that with her, I, I just their smiles, and he didn't have to say this, but I'm kind of glad he did. Where he goes, I've said more to you, period, than I have in the last year, and that began to open up his way of saying. I'm going to be vulnerable with you. You're the first person that I trust. Well, I don't know that I should completely earn that trust at that point, but I felt like their chemistry was strong enough that they could have continued that relationship without seeing so many other... They could have... I could have believed that they were growing closer together without seeing them on screen as much as they were. I think that 
I don't believe that they should have been. Yeah, I agree that they shouldn't have been to that moment where they were sacrificing. He was sacri- she was sacrificing five years of her life to be with him. But I felt like at least in the very beginning, their relationship and their affection for each other was completely genuine. Yeah. And so those moments felt really strong to me. And that that particular moment really set the stage when they shared music together and they went to the laundromat and he shared that song with her. Uh, I thought uh, just their relationship in general was great, but uh, that, those scenes specifically really connected with me. Yeah, that, it was a great scene. I agree. I, I love first romance moments mm-hmm. in movies. I'm a, I'm a love guy, sucker for that stuff. And <laughs> I thought it was really well done, their initial kind of flirtation and falling for each other. Well, and it came right after he finished that second job where he was completely free of his yeah. indentured servant so he could be he open with her he was safe and that's where and, I yeah. felt like man okay great he can be vulnerable with somebody else he didn't feel like he was yeah. in danger he wasn't holding on to that so I felt like that where we were getting the first pieces of who he actually was yeah that's very true I also really I really like Lily James in general yeah I know we're I think we're all fans of Cinderella have you seen it you have oh shit <laughs> I hadn't before we actually podcast, and, Pat, and it worked. Patrick was he loved it. Yeah, oh, that's great. I know I will. I, I just need to get around to. I it. know you love Disney and Disney remakes, so that's yeah. Um, but she's in she's in that as well, and she's just gosh, she's just amazing. Um, and I would have liked a little more for her, a little more depth, maybe a little yeah. more scenes. I don't know what I would have liked, but but specifically, just she was she was good, mm-hmm. and it was nice to have her there. And I would have liked more of her. Um, my connecting point, having talked about it, to be honest. I darn near almost would change this. I'm not gonna because I love the one that I wrote down, but the scene with Buddy and Baby where Buddy goes over after Bats has been messing with him and he wants to listen to music with Baby and they talk about Brighton Rock and uh, Buddy's relationship with I think his brother who listens to it. I think he was talking about I think it. So. Um, and Baby's why he loves it. I, I really dug that in hindsight knowing how the scene knowing how the movie plays out. That, that scene is even more elevated for me and special. Um, but the one that I also felt the most emotional was when Baby picks up Joseph and carries him out. He's in the middle of his last run run for the cops, that incredibly long run. And um, he puts the money in Joseph's uh, jacket. Joseph's like, no, no, I don't want your dirty money. I love Joseph as a character all the way around, yeah. by the way. He's just fantastic as a foster father. And the idea of him being the foster father to Baby, I just thought that was really well done. Uh, but we see Baby take him away. We don't know what's going to happen. And then he drops him off at a retirement home. And he's making... Oh, we don't see it on screen at first, but we hear him making that recording. And it's him leaving a recording where Joseph's saying, this is who I am because I can't talk, and this is what I like. And Joseph's like, oh, I'm spread around the edges. Yeah. <laughs> I just... I love that. I love the baby saying, listen, I'm sorry. I wasn't able to take care of you and, and protect you. And Joseph saying, it's okay. I'm worried about you. And that idea of two people who love each other, who are more, this is what true love is to me, is two people who are more concerned with the other person than they are themselves. Right. To right. me, that's what love is. Love is sacrifice. Love is Patrick and I, this is a bad example. Love is Patrick saying to his wife that I will do anything because I want what is best for you. And his wife saying simultaneously, I will do whatever is best for you. And in the middle, they both get their needs met. And that's what happens with Baby and his his foster father. And I just love that moment. Um, we call that the perfect peanut butter sandwich right there. That is <laughs> spread all the way around the edges. So I, I liked the way that that relationship kind of plays out and finalizes itself. So that was, that was mine. Good deal. Yeah, I think in general, the pairs of characters that we have, the ones that we've mentioned, I think all could have 
had more moments that would have made them just phenomenal. And they were fine the way they were, but uh, you just kind of you're left going, yeah, can I have more with yeah? And and I think that's a that's both the you know probably a compliment and somewhat of an insult to Ryan because he creates these compelling characters. We just don't get enough screen time or enough development with these pairs, you know. Right. Well, guys, um, this was unique and fun, and I got I gotta say, I really enjoyed this. Me too. I think it's super cool. I've never done this before, but like, I'm, I'm, I'm both. I'm so. I loved it so much that it makes me sad because we don't get to do this again. Like none of us really do. Chad on a cruise. In two Chad years, has <laughs> every couple of years. I'll do a cruise. Yeah, but Chad, your co-hosts are from all over the place in Cinescope. So um, you do almost all your stuff's going to be you know via the web. Patrick and I obviously can't do this, but um, this, is, this is this is a good time, and it's cool to talk about a movie right off the bat like this without processing it a ton. Yeah, sort of just gut, gut punch reactions. Yeah, I don't yeah. know that I would always want to do this. Um, I did one recently with Don Shanahan I, where I got home after seeing It Comes at Night and I was just... I remember <laughs> I started texting him right away and I was just upset. And I was like, dude, this is... Stop. I can't what sleep. Is and he goes, save it. Come home. I'm bi- I'm free. He's like, get up, get your mic up and call me. And I was like, this dumb. And he's like, just do it. And I was like, fine. So I got home, put the mic on, and just called him. And we literally, like, just talked through my feelings on it right off the bat. And I thought it was really cool. It's um, it's over on Feelin' Film Plus if you're listening right now and you're curious where that It Comes at Night episode is. Uh, so, yeah. But I guess I'll leave that. Feelin' Film Plus, if you're listening and you don't know what that is, Patrick and I started a second feed. So it has its own RSS feed, its own show on iTunes, its own show on Stitcher, Google Play, etc. Feelin' Film Plus. And we're just using that as a place to put bonus episodes and kind of other stuff so that we don't fill the feed up here with too much stuff. That This is a place you can go and get... We, we've done an anime season. Uh, Patrick's done a documentary. We've done... What else have we done? Sif. Done some, done Seattle. some Seattle International Film Festival coverage. Um, we're just going to continue doing random things that Patrick and I are passionate about and we love. We're going to find people who want to talk about them and talk about them. And put it there. So if you're interested... Subscribe to that one. Check it out. See if you like that kind of conversation as well. If you're interested in being on, if there's something that you're passionate about, connect with us and we might find something that uh, that we're passionate about as well, video game or a book or things like that. Hey, if you're interested in talking about Braid, I'll probably be interested in talking about it at some point. So <laughs> just as an example, throwing it out there. But yeah, Feeling Film Plus, it's really where all the other stuff that we're passionate about can live without confusing you guys on a week-to-week basis. It gives us a chance to talk. Well, Chad, as we are ending this and wrapping up, why don't you tell people where they can find you and Cinescope all over the web? Where can they listen to Cinescope and remind them what you got going on with the contest? Sure. So Cinescope you can find at the website, which is thecinescopepodcast.com. You'll find links to all of our episodes, and within each episode you'll find links to all of our social media. So at CinescopePod on Twitter, the Cinescope Podcast on Facebook, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, you can find it basically where you ever you can find any other podcast. So cool. If you're interested in getting a free movie, possibly, if you want to enter that, remember, just review on iTunes, or you can share the show and tag us on Facebook or Twitter, and you will be entered, and that drawing will be announced on uh, episode 52, big one-year episode. Me, you can find on Twitter, primarily, that's at Chadadada, C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Chadadada. Chadadada. This is why I don't like having him on with 
Right. That's why we, that's why we can't have nice things. <laughs> that is a very handy way to remember how many syllables are in the name, though. So just sing Menomina to yourself. <laughs> and uh, you can find me on Facebook, too, if you want to add me. That's Chad. Or, yeah, Chad.Hopkins after the Facebook.com slash. So, yeah, that's where you can find me. Thanks, Chad. If you want to find out more about me... You can uh, you can tweet me, you can Facebook me, you can Instagram me at Shoeless Patch S H O E L E S S P A T C H. You can also find out more about me at my website. This is Patch.com. Um, as we mentioned, Feeling Film Plus next door, but also our main website that houses all of our FF Plus episodes as well as our main stuff, FeelingFilm.com. There you can find out past episodes or any good writing that we have from our contributors Jeremy, Don, Steve. And, um, yeah, just come visit us and find out more. Leave a comment, leave a review, whatever you want to do. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And if you'd like to continue the conversation with me, I am all over the web at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. I'm back from vacation, so I'm fairly active again on Twitter and Facebook. And, as always, in our lovely Facebook discussion group, which Chad is also a member of and a frequent poster. So yep. you can come talk to any and all of us there, and we just love discussing movies, bring up a topic, uh, make up a, a list that you want to create on Letterboxd of ranking of, liter- ranking of literally anything. And, and uh, you will get a lot of responses because we like lists in the Feel and Film Facebook group. And anybody and everybody <laughs> is welcome to join that. It's growing and uh, uh, just a great group of people there. So I um, hope that you will be back with us next week. Uh, we will be talking Spider-Man Homecoming. And we've got several actual uh, in-theater picks coming, I guess, in a row. We're doing Spider-Man, and then I believe after that, Planet of the Apes. And after that, Dunkirk. So it's a big we, summer. <laughs> we will be in the theater a lot over the course of the next month. Also of note, real quick, is the two indie movies that I personally am really championing, two of my absolute top five of the year so far, have uh, both little mini-episodes dropped that are spoiler-free, are feeling it reviews. The Beguiled is out now. You can listen to that one and see if Sofia Coppola's latest film is something you might enjoy. I absolutely loved it. And coming in the next couple days, you'll see our Feeling It review of A Ghost Story, uh, which was also, like, tops for me for the year. Absolute five-star film. So um, you can hear what exactly I thought about that, spoiler-free-wise, and maybe you'll go check that out in theaters when it hits next week. I think that's all we've got. So, uh, Chad, thanks for being on. Thanks for being here. Thanks, thanks for, for meeting me. us. Yeah. And I'm not glad being we could scared. find a halfway point. <laughs> yeah, no one got killed in the making of this podcast. That's great. Um, <laughs> Despite my driving. Right. <laughs> uh, we still have to make it home. Okay, that's true. <laughs> uh, but until next time, listeners, as always, stay positive. And keep feeling film.